You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Good morning. It's good to be back for a second week with you. Um, at a, in a spot I used to feel, well, I still feel at home here, but I used to call it home. Um, so it's good to be back with you and see lots of familiar faces again. Um, <clears throat> a lot of you have asked um, about me and uh, Nevea, my daughter, um, who was here in the nursery for the first um, important months. Um, and she's good. Nobody's really asking about me. Everybody's asking about her. She, she's good. She just turned three. She's all of three and everything that that means has a lot of opinions and shares them um, with us. Uh, my sister calls her boss baby. Um, and then she turned three and it like accelerated a little bit more. But she's great and good and we're good um, in the far off land of Houston. Um, people were surprised that I was just driving in um, in the mornings for these two Sundays with y'all. And I finally looked at somebody was like, it's really not that far. Feels like it feels far. Houston feels far, but it's not that it's not that far. So um, we're good and I'm good. And it's so good to be um, back with you. Let's get to work on our second um, trip through the kingdom of God. We talked last week about this massive biblical theme. It's this big thing that it's hard to wrap both arms around. Um, it's definitely difficult for us in this time, in this culture, um, in this point in history to understand maybe some of the things of the kingdom. But it's worth reaching for. Um, these cookies, so to speak, are not on a low shelf. We're going to have to reach for it a little bit, but it's worth it. Uh, to get there. We talked last week about being citizens of this kingdom. We are naturalized citizens of the kingdom. We carry the passport, right? We're loyal to the king. Um, and so this week we're going to zoom way, 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 way in. Um, it feels like trying to understand the whole game of golf by looking at one dimple on one ball, maybe. Um, but you have to zoom in and get the little bits um, so that it makes sense when you zoom out, right? And you have to zoom out so that it makes sense when you zoom in. We need the whole picture. Um, so hopefully last week we got big picture. This week we can look at a little bit of a smaller picture um, and not be so um, theoretical in our thinking, but now get a little bit more practical too as we zoom in. So... <clears throat> We're gonna um, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your copy um, of God's Word with you or a phone, um, <clears throat> we're gonna read starting in verse one in a little bit. But any time that we take just we're gonna just look at 14 verses this week. So any time we take a little chunk of Scripture, it is most prudent. We are most likely to understand it. And to allow God's word to do in our lives what it was intended to do when we can take the big context, make sure that we take our 14 verses and put them in the big context of Genesis to Revelation, which is some of what we talked about last week, and the immediate context. 
So we talked last week about this broad kingdom thing and how it starts in Genesis 1 and goes all the way to Revelation 21 with kingdom language. Um, and then we're going to zoom in on these 14 verses and we're going to talk about some of the context around those before we get started. The immediate context is that we're in Matthew. Matthew is a, it's called a gospel, one of the four first Books of the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus's time here on earth, what is sometimes referred to as the incarnation. It's an ancient biography. Biographies in the ancient world were written a lot. They still told stories about actual people who had actually lived and wrote them down. But they had a little bit different slant or a little bit different purpose than we would have as consumers of a biography today. Um, And so these are ancient biographies. So it's helpful to understand what the intent of the writer was and what they did and why they did it. So what we need to know about Matthew is that he's writing this biography of Jesus. He's telling the story about when Jesus was here on the planet But he's not necessarily writing everything in order of how it happened. Because that wasn't important to the original audience. What was important was getting the crux of the story, why it was important. So Matthew's gospel, excuse me, is written thematically. He starts with the genealogy of Jesus. We looked at that last week. And and with the telling of Jesus' birth. And he ends with the crucifixion and the resurrection. But the, the space in between is arranged in themes. In fact, it's arranged around five discourses, five sermons that Jesus preached while he was here, each on a different theme. Um, and some scholars think that Matthew did that intentionally to mimic the first five books of the Old Testament, which were a, a unit in themselves called the Pentateuch. Um, and that Matthew was intentionally telling the Jewish people that just like there are five books of Moses, these are the five books or discourses of Jesus. And he was drawing a connection for them. Jesus is the better Moses. This is all a fulfillment of what we've been promised. Right. Um, so we are going to jump in our 14 verses. The immediate context is one of those themes in the middle of Matthew's. Gospel. Actually, we're coming toward the end of Matthew's gospel. It's it's one of those themes. And the theme that Jesus is talking around in this section of the book is how the Jews have are rejecting him as the Messiah. The the promised anointed one, like we talked about last week, Jesus is king. But the Jews and especially the Jewish leadership were not on board with what first John the Baptist and then Jesus was laying, were laying down. That this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And we know that in part because we're in the middle of some we're, um, parables that Jesus is telling that, that all have the same theme. If you back up to Matthew 21, you see a parable of two sons and a parable of some tenants. That a, that a landowner left some tenants on his land. They were expected to grow um, a crop for him and then turn over part of the crop. <clears throat> There's a whole story about the wicked tenants that take over the land. And then we get to our story. 
Our story here in Matthew 22 is a parable. A parable is its own biblical genre, right? And genre may make you like give you hives thinking about high school English class, but it's important to know what kind of literature you're reading because what kind of literature you're reading deeply affects how you read it and understand it. If you were to read um, an email from a loved one who was traveling, right, and was writing to you to talk about how they loved you and missed you, you would take those words differently than if you were reading the lyrics to a song or what in the olden days they called a poem. Now we put them all to music, right, but still poetry. Or like a, a mailer that you, that you pull out of your mailbox that's a political campaign. Right? You're going to read those words differently than you read the poem, differently than you read the letter from the loved one. And so in the Bible, there's different kinds of literature. We talked about biography and even it being ancient biography and being built a little bit differently than we might would expect. But then when you jump into a parable, that's even kind of a subgenre of this biography. When Jesus was standing around with people and launches into a story, a lot of them in our English version start with, there was a certain man. Everyone listening would have been clear that he wasn't telling a story about something that actually happened. That's, that's clear in all of their minds. And we need to make sure it's clear in our minds when we start to read them, right? Because we will understand it a little differently than if we think we're reading a news report. We have different expectations of a story that's supposed to teach a spiritual lesson, which is the goal of a parable. A parable is a story that teaches a spiritual lesson and elicits an emotional response. Jesus is going to intentionally, when he tells these stories, talk about things that strike close to the heart of the hearer. That, that's not on accident. There's, it's supposed to stir you up. This example is not only a parable, but it rises to uh, the definition of, um, <clears throat> I just lost the word. I'll say it later. These stories are longer and have symbolism in them. An allegory. Thank you. It's not just a parable, but it's an allegory. All allegories are parables, but not all parables are allegories. Does that make sense? So this one, he's going to start this story, and everybody's going to know that he's telling a story that's supposed to have a spiritual application, that elicits an emotional response, and that has symbolism in it. Okay? So we... We're, we all know that. Now we can read the story and be on the right page. You ready? The first 14 verses of Matthew 22. They're on the screen. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf, cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. 
He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed that a man noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. It's a weird story. Doesn't immediately like resonate on a deep level with us because there's a lot in here that's cultural to the people that he was talking to so one of the best ways for us to be good students of God's word is to question the text read it and go back and ask ourselves some basic questions about what's really going on in the text and to do our best To try to understand what the original intent of the teller of the story was. Why would Jesus tell the story? What was he trying to say? Who was he saying it to? Instead of just pulling it directly into our context, right? Trying to pull it directly into our context doesn't make a lot of sense, right? We don't have wedding banquets or servants. We have receptions and it's close, I guess, right? But it it misses us. So we're going to question the text. We're going to look at who, what, when, and where and see if we can figure out why. It's a really very good way to approach any passage of scripture. After you read it, to go back and ask yourself these questions to see if you can put it in the context of where it was. Well, so to answer some of these questions, you have to back up to Matthew chapter 21. When you back up to Matthew chapter 21, what you find is that the day before Jesus told this story was what's called the triumphal entry. What we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Just 24 hours before this, Jesus is on a donkey riding into Jerusalem, which P.S. was symbolic for how a king would have ridden into Jerusalem. The multitudes, all of the people are waving branches, laying their coats on the road in front of him, right? And worshiping, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? That's what they're screaming. So it's, it's an important, very impactful day in the history of Jesus' time here on earth. Then Jesus goes and clears the temple. It's when he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And he turns over tables and says it's not right to be doing business in the temple, especially not crooked business. Right? Jesus and his disciples walk back out to a suburb of Jerusalem, essentially, Bethany, and spend the night with some friends. On their way back into town, he curses a fig tree, another kind of strange Story, And then chapter 21 tells us he walks into the temple courts so that the outer part of the temple in Jerusalem and those who gather around him are the chief priests and the elders of the people. So these are religious and political leaders. 
24 hours after all the people that they think that they are leading have shouted the praises of this guy. Right? And we're in the middle of a part of Matthew's gospel that's all about how the Jewish leadership didn't get it that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, that changes the story, doesn't it? Also, if we're in an allegory and there's symbolism in it, well, then let's look at the symbols. Let's not leave anything that could go unsaid unsaid. The king is God. The son in the story is Jesus. God's throwing a wedding banquet for his son. The servants are the prophets of the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying in this story is, my father was preparing the way for me to come and be presented to you at a big party so that when I came, you would recognize me. And the people that he sent to tell you, uh, you killed them. Discounted everything they had to say, tossed them out of town, didn't pay attention. And that's why you're having a hard time now. Then there's those who have been invited. Here's the deal. Culturally, in this time, especially for a king or someone of high social standing, when they were going to have a party or a big banquet like this, especially a wedding banquet, they'd send out invitations, but the invitation wouldn't necessarily say the specific date and time. Hey, my son's going to get married. I'm not quite sure when it's going to happen yet, but we're going to wait for uh, relatives and allies to travel in from out of town. And we're going to fatten up the cattle and then we're going to butcher the cattle and then we're going to cook the cattle and we'll let you know when dinner is. So when in the story it says he sent the king sends the servants to those who had been invited and tells them dinner's ready. They already knew, they, they knew that that announcement was coming. They had, they had already been invited to the party and had already RSVP'd yes. Right? If you've invited somebody and they're like, mm, no, I'm not coming, then you don't go tell them when it's time to come to dinner. You go to the people who have said, yes, I'm going to come, and you say, okay, dinner's ready. So they blow them off, right? They go back to doing business. And the king sends them again, and the king sends them again, and the king sends them again, right? So those who have been invited are the nation of Israel. They should have known, right? They should have recognized Jesus. That's what the king is saying. You already said, yes, you were on board with this. Yes, there is an anointed one. He's coming. He's going to be king. He's not just going to be a king. He's going to be our king. And we're going to come. We're there with you. But then the king sends his servants to say, yes, okay, now's the time. And they're like, nah. And then we have anyone you can find. Welcome. We're they. We are anyone they could find, right? We don't have a biological claim to Abraham as our father. We have a faith claim to Abraham as our father. So the king sends the servants out to find anybody who can come because he's got the dinner ready. It's time to come to the party. So we didn't get the first invitation, maybe. 
because that went to the biological children of Abraham. But we got the second invitation. Okay? So we, we are in the story. Symbolically. Anyone you can find, that's us. So when you go back this week maybe and reread the story, you can read it like a story that you're in. You're, you're there. You are one of the symbols. So what does that mean for us? What can we draw from that? Well, this story is in scripture for us to know God more. So there, there are a lot of layers. So many layers. We could, we could learn a lot of things about the um, Jews and their leadership. We could learn a lot of stuff about uh, what scholars call Second Temple Judaism, which is the period of history that this story, where Jesus told this story. Uh, there's, some, there's a lot of theology in it. What we're going to aim for today are some things about the king. Right? We have a story about the king. And Jesus starts the story with the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, if we're citizens of that kingdom, and what we looked at last week, we're not just citizens, we're not just like second class citizens, we're ambassadors of that citizen. God is making his appeal through us. We represent this king. We should know him. Right? And know about him. So in this one story, what can we learn about him? Well, first, our king is gracious. He sends out invitations, and then he sends out servants to say, now come. And then he sends out servants to say, I think maybe you misheard me. I said, (laughs) dinner's ready. Right? The first time it's, just go get him. Let's find the verse. He says, in verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. So then the second time, he sent some uh, more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared dinner. The oxen, the fattened cattle, it's all ready. It's on the table for you. So they don't only have like one shot, right? They got an invitation. They got a, a okay now. They got another okay now. They got the, the second okay now come. Had a lot more detail to it. Our, our king is really, really gracious with us. He's not expecting us to be anywhere that we're not. Right? He has realistic expectations of what it means to be human. He created us. He knows that we're forgetful. He knows that we don't hear him right. Sometimes the first time he says it, so he says it again. Verse 11 is where this story gets kind of strange. And it's when we take these stories out of context that uh, God gets a bad rap. If you just take uh, verses 11 to 13 and pull them out of context and say, this is from a story that's where the king is symbolic of God. And you say, he walks up to a guy at a wedding banquet and says, why aren't you dressed right? And kicks him out and doesn't just kick him out of the party, right? But has his hands and feet bound and he's tossed into, um, what does it say? Hand and foot and throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
that goes a, a little beyond, right, the bouncer just saying uh, no. Well, what, what are we to make of that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Biblical scholars are torn on this, so we have to, we have to hold it loosely, okay? But some of them say that it would have been very common practice for the king in this situation to have provided wedding clothes at the door. Right? Because we said the king is going to wait for people to travel a long distance to get there. Well, right there on the back of a donkey or a horse or something or probably just walking. They don't have enclosed shoes. They're walking on dirt roads. It's hot. We all understand that. We get the hot part, right? They're sweaty. They've traveled a long way. Who wants to carry their um, priciest, most heavy garments with them on this hard road? So the king would have had clothes that were appropriate for them and a place to wash up before they ever came in to the banquet. Even if that's not fully historically accurate, at the very least what we know is that all these people who were out just on the road, anyone you can find to invite, everybody else went home and changed. Right? Everybody else at the party had time, took time to go home and wash up and change into appropriate clothes and then come. This story is not about a king who's unreasonable to someone who say, came in off the street and couldn't afford appropriate clothes for the wedding. That's not what this story is about at all. This wedding guest disqualified himself. He did not take seriously the sacredness of the invitation from the king. He didn't do the bare minimum that was culturally appropriate for the event that he had been invited to. Right. Even even if there wasn't somebody standing at the door with a robe ready to put it on him, you know, like at a fancy restaurant where they like have the sport coats in the back for the guys that are underdressed. Even if it wasn't even if it wasn't that profound, everybody else is dressed appropriately. And we're in contextually an honor and shame culture. We live In a justice culture, we think of everything as right and wrong. Is it legal? Is it not legal? That's the line we draw for what's culturally appropriate here. Right? Wrong. In honor and shame cultures, it's what brings honor to my family or what might bring shame to my family. So this king is dishonored with the masses by having someone at his banqueting table who smells bad and isn't dressed appropriately. This is not just God trying to save face. But what it says by allowing that person to stay in the banquet is you, you've misunderstood the whole banquet. And by leaving that person there, that allows everyone to call into question what's going on at the banquet. Oh, we thought this was a wedding banquet, but that guy's there? This isn't what I thought it was. 
This isn't being unkind to the homeless guy, right? This is God being faithful to his character. This is God being generous, right? He, 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 at the very least, allowed time for them to go change. But maybe just said, come on, we got what you need. And isn't that a beautiful way to think about it? Maybe it's historically accurate, maybe not. Like, that's what I said. We have to, we have to hold those things a little bit open-handedly. But what a beautiful way to think about it. Because while we're talking symbolically, right? Did the king not invite us in and give us everything we needed? You, we have what we need to wear. We've been cleaned up. He, he's not going to walk up behind you and tap you on the shoulder one day and be like, how would you get in? That's, that's not what this is about, right? He's a generous, generous king. A gracious, gracious king. Sorry. I gave away the punchline. Next point, he's a generous king. Our king is gracious and our king is generous. He killed the oxen. He fattened up the cattle. He sent the son. They came and invited us, anyone that you can find. The only people who are disqualified from this banquet are the ones who disqualify themselves, right? He, go, he goes to the first group over and over and over again. Says, come on. Then he comes and finds those ragged folks just out on the street. We didn't have any social standing. We didn't have anything that maybe would get us invited in the first place. Fattened calf. Right there for us. Our God's gracious, our king is generous, and our king is faithful. He cannot, cannot, cannot go against his nature. It's not going to change. He's not, he is not going to show up one day and say, you actually don't belong. We, I thought that you could, but you didn't. No. Those are people who disqualify themselves. They don't avail themselves of what he's offered. The, the best way for us to be ambassadors of this kingdom that we belong to is to emulate the king. He, he's told us about himself. Right? That's what an ambassador does. Head of state, name someone ambassador. You go live in a foreign land and represent me well. It's what Paul calls us, ambassadors. He even says, we read this verse last week, it's, even, it's, as, it's as if God is making his appeal through us. Well, so let's do our level best to be like the king. Lead with grace. Be generous. And also be faithful to the truth of the gospel. You don't have to sacrifice one for the other. This, it, it sounds remarkably simple in this room once a week, right? It's real hard to do. It's, a, it's very hard to do. It's contrary to our sin nature. That passport that we hold, held for the place where we were born, right? No grace. No generosity. Certainly not any faithfulness to anything as firm as the truth. 
And yet, it's available to us. We can be like the king. It's really hard. Sounds simple. Really hard. But it's available. And it's the best, maybe the only way, to really be ambassadors to the kingdom that we are citizens of. I hope what you leave with today is not just those points that we've talked about, but also um, a stirring to read some parables, especially those that start with. There's actually, especially in Matthew, there are actually quite a few parables that start with the kingdom of heaven is like. We, we need to be informed citizens of the kingdom that we belong to, that has grafted us in. God's word is beautifully complex and also sometimes really clear when we're looking at the things, that, at the, those big themes that, that pull it all together, right? I hope that some of those buzzwords start to jump off the page at you. Let's let's be um, let's be ambassadors and citizens that um, that are informed that know we know our king we know what's um, what it means to represent him well. Lord, you're a good good king. You are full of grace. You are generous in a way that I don't even know that we uh, can comprehend. Um, And there is great comfort in the fact that you don't ever change. Your character never changes. And that is foreign to us as humans. Um, And so would you teach us how... um, how to know you, how to walk with you, how to represent you, um, and be um, citizens um, that are workmen unashamed, as Scripture puts it. Lord, we um, worship you this morning. It's in your great name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.